0: Welcome to Reframe the Podcast, helping you reframe your thought patterns, habits, and mindsets to create the life that you want to lead. Today, we are talking to expert resilience coach, Pam Cotsman. Now, I first met Pam through an Instagram event where she was delivering a workshop on building resilience, and it was her warm, engaging, and rather brilliant way of holding the room's attention that made her workshop, by far, in my opinion, the best of the day. We can't wait to share her work with you today. We underestimate the power of building resilience in our own development in how we approach all sorts of things from our work, our personal life, our relationships with our children, how we can foster it in our children, and how it can help support us to be healthier. So without further ado, here is our chat with Pam.
1: Hey Pam, thanks for joining us today. Um,
2: Pam, to be here.
1: uh, Good, if you can just give our audience a little overview about who you are and what it is you do.
2: I can do that. So um, I'm Pam Cotman, I am a resilience coach, trainer and speaker. So I work with schools um, and everybody within them, Um, organisations, one-to-one clients, helping people to build resilience. So that means everything from kind of career transition to life in general just helping people to I suppose get a bit back to basics on who they are and what's important to them really thinking about values thinking about mindset and the massive impact that has on how we do everything in our lives how we build confidence I spend a lot of time working with people around confidence to sort of be okay with who they are and then sort of reach their potential in whatever field and self-care is the last kind of bit of what I do really helping people to understand how they can look after themselves better and how actually everything I've mentioned does that but taking some proper time to invest in ourselves can make a big difference to how we manage everything in our lives so yeah
0: that's so true that's so true and obviously you came to this you've come to resilience coaching through a previous career so where were you before?
2: So before doing this, my background was education. So I was a teacher for 14 years, I taught secondary school English. um, But it was the pastoral side that was always my favourite bit. So the sort of looking at the holistic, looking at the, you know, it's not just a person, a set of grades. It was about everything that was going on in their lives that enabled them to then hopefully um, do okay in their grades, but more importantly, just be sort of happy and successful. In perhaps a different way than maybe might be the convention in uh, education so the sort of shift into resilience came sort of a bit further in my career I'd been ahead of year seven and ahead of six when I'd seen kids go through all kinds of different things and staff for that matter as a sort of leader in education i would supported people through all kinds of stuff and um, the resilience piece came when I was coming back to work after baby number one took on a new role um, as part of being an assistant head and sat down with our school counselor and said you know, is there any one thing, and all the stuff that you deal with, is there any one thing that, that kind of is a thread that runs through all the issues, all the challenges that people are having? And she said resilience, our, our kids in this case, just don't seem to have enough of it. They really struggle when they encounter some kind of bump in the road, whether it's academic or in friendships or with family or whatever it is, they don't necessarily have the tools, the healthy coping mechanisms to enable them to sort of ride out the bump in the road and that really struck a chord with me and so i spent a year researching the kind of projects and things that were going on in schools and looked at what was going to be best for our school and then launched a project that was all around resilience emotional well-being mental health mainly because i think it really came out of having seen so many young people and adults and friends and Dealing with mental health issues and, and it almost having to reach a point of crisis before that was intervention and then that intervention isn't always easy to come by so sort of taking some steps back looking at something a bit more proactive rather than reactive which you know so many of us do we kind of go oh there's an issue right let's sort it as opposed to if I just learn this stuff if I give these tools to everybody which we did in the end and I do now in the work that I do know whether it was parents staff governors students we gave everybody the tools so that when a bump came in the road or they noticed somebody else was finding things difficult they would have the wherewithal to help to do something about Mm. it for themselves and and hopefully not get to a point where it got much more serious
1: it's interesting that it came from a school background when i think of resilience i think people like um well essentially swam around great britain or like i read a lot of sas books like at middleton or Billy being for these guys to do, like climb mountains. Yeah. Thinking about myself in and, 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 um, my career path, as many a time, especially during school, because I absolutely hated school. Um, and there'd be one or two knockbacks. And I would, rather than risk failure, I'd definitely walk away from it. Um, so it's really interesting to see it identified at a young age. Mm. With your work, how did you roll that out in schools? Did you teach teachers to teach it as, like, a, or teach other staff members to teach it to kids? As they saw it, as they picked it up, or do you do like class workshops, extra lessons?
2: The approach we took was we need to do something that covers everything. You know, they need to see it in the student bulletin each day. They need to have a behavioural reward system that acknowledged effort, not just achievement. So back to what you were saying about you know, people making really amazing endeavours and sort of achieving great things. Well, you know, I quite often use sports people as analogy and say that doesn't happen overnight, you're gonna have the failures and the knockbacks and everything along the way. So we really tried to encourage that growth mindset and the value of effort and practice and trying and getting it wrong and making mistakes. So we ended up sort of coming up with something that really was, it involved everybody and it was something that we wanted to be a message they heard over and over and over again. Do you think
0: we have a generation under us a generation of our own children that are less resilient? Do you think they've undergone a different set of pressures that have made them less resilient? Or do you think it was never part of the conversation previously?
2: I mean, do you think there's been a shift? I think it's a hard one. What you said there around sort of, was there never a conversation around it? I mean, certainly in terms of mental health and thinking about when when I was at school, I don't remember conversations about it. I don't remember people talking about it. And actually, if I think of people I knew at that time and sort of even going through universities there were some people who were clearly struggling but it just it wasn't talked that the context around it wasn't talked about and I know from the research I did early on in this so, I mean the work I did on this started kind of 2014-15 and so I was looking at research that went back a few years from there and they did say actually if you think in the space of education that You know, when I was at school, they introduced the A star grade for GCSE as if an A wasn't good enough. Well, now they've got the A star at A level because an A at A level wasn't good enough. And now they've scrapped all the grades at GCSE and it's now a bunch of numbers that go up to nine because an A star wasn't good enough. So if you think about the messages that are being delivered to young people and the kind of the kind of messages you get in the media when it comes to results they have oh they you know GCSEs are easy A-levels are easy they've changed the boundaries and you just think these kids are working their socks off And, and I worked in a girls grammar school high performing the expectations were really high and yet they were still hearing oh no but it's too easy it's it's not good enough and I think part of the challenge for them would come from the fact that you know their access to the media is so much more immediate than it was. You know, 20 years ago, more than that, before I left school, that you know they can see all this stuff in a way that I don't really think we did. I don't think we were, I don't think we were part of the conversation in a way that I think young people are today. And that you know, and they're but they are aware of it. They're not, they're not daft. I think I think the the, the shift is happening now is that perhaps more. More parents are becoming aware, more schools are aware now that they need to be starting these conversations a, a lot earlier. And I know that Ofsted and their most recent framework that came out last year, I think, have made a big thing around personal development and resilience and emotional intelligence. I think they're recognising that it's not enough to equip kids with a bunch of academic skills to leave school with. They need to have, they need to have skills to look after themselves to enable them to have a fighting chance of being more successful when it comes to you know their grades their future careers whatever it might be the sort of soft skill stuff that i think has been a bit sidelined really that and the and the self-care stuff i think is thankfully becoming more talked about and i would say it's the same in organizations as well i think i think again well-being has been seen sometimes as a bit of a nice add-on and uh let's put a yoga class on and then everyone will be chilled out and it'll be fine as opposed to people now saying yeah people are struggling and actually if we help them now then that will be better in terms of you know staff engagement and productivity and retention and all of that you know again if we if we show that we care about our people then they're going to be much more likely to say well this is an organization that I want to be part of.
1: When you started bringing in the resilience did you see um, an increase in maybe like attendance to school as well as as grades?
2: Yes I mean the general statistics around kids performances that if they are happier they are going to go on and perform better i mean all the work around sort of mentioning growth mindset before carol dweck's research so that's going back it's late 70s her stuff started i mean the idea behind her research and growth mindset was if you if you say it's okay to make mistakes if you say it's okay to practice and try and try then that's going to generate better results and that that research has been a bit questioned recently i did some work in some schools and they went oh no but that's been a bit poo-pooed but actually from a coaching point of view investing in people and giving them time and support to say look of course it's all right to make a mistake i definitely saw that in the classroom creating that culture in a classroom where you say and year nine i remember being a brilliant year for this like it didn't it didn't count they didn't get a grade that, that was on an exam certificate anywhere but being able to say like look this is a year in which this is a classroom in which you know, we give stuff a go. If it goes well, great. If it doesn't, well, we're going to learn something along the way as well. And I think that kind of approach as leaders in any space, as parents actually, is incredibly useful. It's it's a place in which you feel safe. You know, having having worked with a number of leaders, if I work with someone who's like, give it a go, if it doesn't work, we'll figure it out, is far more supportive and likely to generate confidence than someone who i don't know suggest that nothing less than this is acceptable because that kind of pressure is is what can really take its toll on people over the years definitely and that
0: emphasis on progress
2: in a world that puts
0: perfection on a pedestal and you know i know we've talked before about the pressures that you saw especially in a girl's grammar um that perfection can have you know that academic pressure but also there's a whole different conversation about the pressures that we feel in terms of the way we we look and the way we are and you know the way we have to be seen within our peer groups Mm. all of those sorts of things and do you think that pressure is manifesting in a different way in kids obviously we've talked about mental health but how else did you specifically in in the realms of you know the work we're doing here at reframe club did you see that begin
2: to play out um, I was thinking about it a bit more actually before our call today and there are a few things that came to mind. I mean, one was, you know, recognising that we had a role to play at school in terms of educating young people, girls in this case, about kind of healthy body image and trying to challenge and debunk some of the myths and the stereotypes that that were out there. So, I mean, if I think back to some of the first bits of work that I did, so this was in the sort of PSHE space, I remember teaching a unit of work that a friend had put together, and we looked at and we looked at images from this goes back to the '90s, kind of Sophie Dahl versus Kate Moss. These two almost polar opposites in terms of how they looked, but both were, you know, lauded and reviled by. I can't even think if that's the right word, but you know, they they were they were seen as opposite. And for some people, they were really healthy and wonderful, and others they were no, that's awful. And what was really lovely was in a class of I think at this stage they would have been kind of fifteen year olds, they were saying, well some of them had the confidence to say, well, actually anyone could be either of those shapes and surely they're both okay, as opposed to people finger pointing at them for being or looking a certain way. And others obviously would be looking at them going, well, I really want to look like that and maybe I can't or I shouldn't. Or I... There was so much that we dealt with. I mean, clearly we we worked with young people who struggled with all kinds of different aspects of um, challenges around disordered eating. I mean, there, it was you know it's it's a bit of a stereotype but in girls grammar school with those images of perfection yeah that that stuff came to the fore we had girls who were really struggling with that and and I what I noticed and the thing that came to mind um just before this call was so as a head of year I would quite often have to go along and sort of help at the younger kids discos and the six formers used to come along with us and what I noticed over the years and this is a serious change from when I remember going to school discos you know I'd be there in like A t shirt and my jeans and my Doc Martens at the age of, I don't know, 12 or 13. Over the years of doing this at school, the way that the young, the younger girls would dress. I mean, they were dressing in ways that was far older <laughs> than, they, than you would imagine. Perhaps you know, an 11 or 12 year old might have dressed 10 or 20 years ago. And I know that changes naturally. And probably in the 60s, you had people saying the same thing. But even our sixth formers were commenting on how much older these girls were presenting. And you know, you flip that forward to social media, which wasn't as much of an issue then. The way in which and i'm seeing it you know mostly from the perspective of girls again but i would say it's the same arguably for boys either of you might have a perspective on this but just that sense of this this is the way i should look this is how i should stand in a photograph i mean i had six formers teaching me you know this is this is the pose the kind of the elbow out and that you know that there's a there are only certain ways of doing it and it was all a bit tongue-in-cheek when the six formers were showing me but it was every photograph that they they would post would be them standing in a certain pose or these might be the certain clothes that I wear or this is how I do my makeup and you know even just looking at difference between sort of family members I've got a cousin cousins who are sort of my age and cousins who are about 20 years younger and you know the amount of effort that goes into being made up and doing hair and all of this to go out for an evening that that definitely has changed and I I can't help but think it has been influenced by social media I think it's always lambasted as the you know the root of all evil for anything to do with mental health, disordered eating. And, and what's it? I saw an article, there was an article in the Observer magazine over the weekend talking about how the filter setting on Instagram when it started was because phone cameras weren't that great. So they wanted something that fit with the real aesthetic beauty of Instagram. And I think what I like is that I see that changing now. How much that's being filtered down to kids now, I, I don't know so much. But I, I like that I'm seeing more images of real men and women not you know filtered not i'm only putting up photos when i feel amazing but i think that pressure is there i mean even when you're posting posts or stories i think that pressure to kind of do i post this but i haven't got any makeup on and i've just done pee with joe it's like well does it matter you know actually if i think about the accounts that i I enjoy following that inspire me the, the most. They're the ones where people are real. You know, authenticity is a really important value for me. So I like people who post all that kind of stuff. But I do still think people have a bit of a leap in their own self belief to feel that it's okay for them to do that. But yeah, the, the more that we're seeing images that challenge the stereotype and the perfect norms, I, I think and I hope that's starting to shift. Even things like we used to show a video that showed kids. know here's the here's the airbrushed image or here's how here's how a model starts at the beginning of the shoot and here's what we do with hair and makeup and then it was here's all the editing that we do to thin her nose to lengthen her neck to broaden her shoulders to change the shape of her eyes her lips everything it's a staggering process that when all you see is the final image you think well that's real so yeah I i think there was a long way still to go but i am appreciating for myself and everybody else that those things are starting to change.
0: No, I think they are. And I think there's, although we, we've had conversations previously, haven't we, Jim? And James Made a really valid point about, he doesn't, he, you know, he said that there's kind of this perfectionism over here that social media is pumping out all the time. And then over here, you've got mental health is okay, but there doesn't, there's very little in between. I think you use the term like a safety net, Jim. Um, mm-hmm. But the conversations we're having now, you know, the work that gets done in schools and about building resilience and just bringing the next generation's awareness to is, the, is, you know, I don't think they're going to feel any less under pressure immediately. I think the objectification that social media kind of encourages, that self-objectification, I need to be liked, how many likes have I got, how many followers have I got? That's, I don't think that's going to disappear overnight. But hopefully as the next generation matures it's almost I always think about it like osmosis I think I'm trying yeah. to educate my children by osmosis and as you say yeah. by modelling so if I think about the language I use or just making them aware oh you know that image isn't quite real this is what they do having those conversations whereas at the moment anything I say in the house sort of preteens and teens <laughs> is seen as
2: worth nothing it has no value Um, (laughs) that's exactly why anything we tried to do in school we thought there is no point doing this as teachers in school if parents aren't part of the conversation because it it then becomes the same thing parents say it but nobody else is so i won't believe you teachers say it but nobody else is so i won't believe you so anything i think you do around young people has to be all of it but that's where as you said the sort of the social media bit of it is "Hmm, how do we ensure that there is a balance and that sort of you know you said the safety net like the balance between the perfection and their mental health is okay to not be okay yeah. but I do I do think that's changing and I think as you said it's the self-awareness piece it's it's helping kids to recognize that they they're in control of their feed they're in control of who they follow mm. and that and that awareness around how do I feel when I you know an image comes up of whoever or whatever account what, what's that doing for me how's it making me feel is it making me feel good is it inspiring me is it making me think oh that's amazing they did x y and z how can I do that or is it making me go oh and are they feeling threatened by that again it's a bit around the sort of fixed and growth mindset piece but but yeah that awareness and that ability to question what they see around them and, and even sort of question the messages that they do get from teachers and parents you know to help figure out is this the path I want to be on because I think we can all be you know guilty of that in some shape or form as we kind of meander our way through lives and end up going actually is this what I want am I am I happy with my lot am I who I want to be am I where I want to be I think the ability to question that is sort of at the root of any kind of change I and mean, obviously reframe is a lot I love that for I love the phrase reframe and in, t- in the coaching space around you know, having the ability to look at something and saying, actually, there might be a different way we can take this. But it's, yeah, it's often having the confidence to even stop, notice, and believe that something different is possible. Absolutely.
0: And how important do you think that whole piece of work around being aligned to your values, your beliefs, being true to yourself, is to actually our well-being? You know, if you're not aligned, if you are living someone else's set of standards you've inherited or pressures can you ever truly be healthy and I mean that in the far bigger picture than yeah. you know did you have your fiber
2: for breakfast <laughs> well it's funny when we were sort of first thinking about health I immediately went into mental health and I think that's because what I, I think that underpins everything but the idea of not being aligned with or living living according to a set of values that actually don't resonate completely with who you are at your core I, I don't think you can be healthy i mean i think when i decided to leave teaching i couldn't fully articulate why and it took some work through coaching to really figure that out i'd kind of come to it a bit through some support that i'd had in the last year or two when i was teaching and i left to go on maternity leave and i decided not to go back but one of the most important pieces of work i did support from a career coach was to really go back to that basics of values and your purpose and are you doing work that you really enjoy I mean these seem like really basic questions but I hadn't stopped to think about it for a long time and I think when you're I mean certainly in the kind of career space the work that I've done around values for me and with other people since then is it's it's fundamental your your ability to enjoy what you're doing to engage to give of your best to be productive to reach your potential all of that stuff which can sound like cheesy sound bites actually it can really take its toll you know you can become incredibly stressed and disengaged and frankly not wanting to be where you are if if there is a big clash between who you are and what's important to you and what seems to be the value set of the people that you're interacting with people in your relationship, people that you're working with, you know, the fundamentals of what you're doing every day, if it's not aligned with who you are and what matters, I think it can have a huge impact on, on health. And as you say, if they are inherited to some degree, that's even harder to challenge because well, you've, you've sat with them, and you've lived with them, you've grown up for the, with them for so long, they are there. That becomes your belief system. That becomes, Something that you, yeah, it takes quite a step to question that. But when you do, the light bulbs around that are massive. It enables you to go, oh, that's why I didn't like that. Or maybe that's why that's been difficult for me. Or maybe that's why I loved that because I had nothing to do with that stuff from whenever it was. But yeah, I I think it's fundamental. I see values as sort of the foundation of everything I do around resilience until we've really got to grips with that. I think any of the rest of it is. It's not pointless, but I, I bring the value stuff into pretty much everything that I do now. Don't
1: you say you're, um, you're a product of the five people you spend the most time with? You heard that before?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, that, which I think is, I think that's probably right, you know, for better or worse. Um, and, and, you know, it can be people. I think what's interesting too is if I think of people that I've met over the years, there are some people that I haven't spent a huge amount of time with, but the impact they've had in terms of the the conversations or the messages or the example they've set or the choices they've made. That's just been, again, one of those light bulb moments that makes you go, Oh, so there is another route that's possible. I think, I think it's very easy to kind of almost, I can, I'm looking out of our office window at a marble track that my husband has made with the kids made out of all kinds of junk that we found around the garden, anything to keep them entertained at the moment. Um, But it's just made me think about that idea that, you know, as us as little marbles and we just set off on a track and we tend to not deviate from that until something of significance might happen. You know, either the marble track gets knocked and so we're forced down a different path or maybe we you know decide actually i want to change the track altogether but either way those things take some real work and and confidence to to do it's not to say that it's impossible i love the idea of saying actually let's take the marble track apart and decide what we're going to put back in it i think there's a lot of conversations like that going on at the moment where people are saying you know i think the more the more this conversation continues in the wider space i think the more that people are recognizing that they have greater choice and agency in their lives than maybe they've realized for a long time. And that's a powerful, exciting but scary thing for people to do too. I think change is naturally scary for people. But you know, with the support of people like you and others who are working in spaces to to help people, it, it makes it all possible.
1: Yeah, it sometimes takes that person who's just outside of your bubble, doesn't it? I think um totally. A lot of business, you know, someone who can look at your business from the outside and be actually you, what you're missing is this because you're so wrapped up in it. Yeah. Um, I really like just going, it's going back quite far actually, because I froze out in the conversation on Zoom, um, bad connection. But there's a point where you're saying um, teaching, teaching teenage girls, I think it, um, you had the Kate Moss example and the other lady, and you yeah. I really like the idea of teaching resilience at that age. I think in terms of sport and exercise, in a way of enjoyment. Yeah. That's a sort of, age, sort of danger age, isn't it, where especially females will fall out of sport yeah. um, because their bodies start changing or they feel they're not built for a certain um, type of fitness or, or, or sport. So they have that resilience or that understanding. It doesn't matter if they're not great at it. They can enjoy it and still do it. You don't have to be the best. I mm-hmm. think having that from an early age um, will probably solve quite a lot of, will go quite far into countering um, diet culture. Which is what we're trying to battle now, isn't it? It's, it's that uphill battle. So you can get it at an early age where you can instill that confidence that it's okay to enjoy moving. You have to be the best. Of the you don't have to be clad in lycra or <laughs> it's okay if you don't um, live off skinny teas and avocados. You can you can have a Big Mac. It's all right.
2: Yeah, and I think what I think what was what I liked and what you said there was that it's it's about movement and to recognise there are so many different ways in which we can move. And again, that thing of just because you know and again i think back to the kids in school we had phenomenally talented sportswomen in school in all kinds of different disciplines and they'd be training crazy hard you know and others who really weren't doing very much movement at all but to to help help anyone see that there are all kinds of different options out there in the movement space and but also trying to make it easy and accessible for people so and i want also to think about it as there aren't there aren't just you know the the school sports, you know, the hockey and the netball and the cross-country and all of that, you know, they're not the only options. And I think, you know, gymnastics was my thing when I was sort of through my, I don't know, from about nine to early twenties, either doing it or coaching it. And I think I do remember thinking back, and it comes back to me now. I do a lot of work around confidence and imposter syndrome, and I remember thinking like that wasn't a real sport. There was something around, you know, you had to be sweaty and you had to be running around and you had to be part of a team to to do sport. And actually. I can, I can see that now and go, that's not my sport in the same way that I don't, I don't like going to the gym. I really like dance. I really like Zumba. I like, yoga. you know, getting to that point where you figure out this is the stuff I like. And if I like it, I'm far more likely to do it. But also the sort of, right. you know, we mentioned P with Joe, I'm not someone who typically does exercise every day. And yet I'm really trying to get to the heart of what is it that is making me, no one's making me, I'm making me, what is it that's, that's led to me voluntarily without my kids <laughs> doing this exercise every day and I think part of it goes back to that authenticity piece of this is somebody doing it in their front room and they're getting it wrong and the text's not right like I like that I don't want some perfect polished performance that actually would be off-putting for me in terms of accessing movement and exercise and I think that's the case for a lot of people that you want something that that you enjoy that resonates with you that challenges you but also that doesn't make you feel like you're rocking up and you as you're saying sort of having to appear in lycra and be all kind of polished and i'm wearing the latest gear and i know what i'm doing i think there is still that stigma that is being challenged but is still there for a lot of people around exercise and obviously it's such a fundamental part of of health but i think to help people recognize there's a number of ways they can access it will make a difference
0: and i think there's something to be said about unpicking trying to unpick um fitness with aesthetic and trying to educate the next generation that actually fitness is so much more than that it is confidence it is if you want to do a team sport learning to play as part of a, you know together um it's mindfulness it's um better sleep quality it's so many other things than i'm doing this to achieve this aesthetic yeah. Um, because that's the message I think we still get. Once we leave school, especially, you know, that is that's why you go to the gym because you're going to look like this, or you go to, you know, you follow certain particular very famous apps on Instagram because they're going to, you know, it's going to make you look like this um, with their genetic predisposition to look that way. That you know, that you know, I think for the next generation as well, they have, we have to bring that into the conversation. We have to talk about the fact that movement is is not that. It is so much more how do you think we can support ourselves and the next generation around using the tools those soft tools of resilience to make changes to improve our general well-being
2: so my view on this and i've done a fair few workshops and things for for parents is that it's that it's all about us as parents leading by example so you know if we're talking about i keep going back to growth mindset but if we're talking about practice and effort instead of achievement and final product and you know all about results then you know to talk to talk we were talking before about kind of osmosis about how kids pick stuff up but but to talk about oh challenges our progress openly with our kids and and help them to see that we don't have it all sorted that we are vulnerable that we have failed but we've learned stuff from it that we found some stuff difficult but here are some things that helped us do i think the more we can model and be vulnerable for our kids vulnerable as a word Brene Brown always uses vulnerable uh, you know as a a way of saying and this is it's really hard it's not something that comes naturally and i think for a lot of us the parenting examples were not necessarily like that you know your parents were up on a pedestal and i think you know going back to the links with organizations i think it's the same there that leaders aren't vulnerable you know some a lot of leaders still are not vulnerable and don't allow for any kind of chinks in their emotional armor because that's how they think they should be and i think a lot of parents feel that way too but the more that we can the more that we can open up a bit more on that the more that we can model what we're learning and to recognize too that we're learning all the time and you know we get it wrong sometimes so we're, we're trying to learn what's best in terms of being so the phrase that came to my head as i said that sounded really cheesy in my head of being true to ourselves but i think there's a lot in that and, it's, and particularly when you look at you know how free and unbothered a three-year-old is compared to how quickly that shifts when kids get into school I mean even seeing with my six-year-old how quickly it shifted to that awareness of other people and what other people might think it starts so young and, and you know we've said we, we, we do it we're aware of it we're affected by stuff that we see in the news or on social media whatever but I think the younger we can start to help kids challenge it and to say that you don't have to be like everybody else and the most important things are x y and z then the more able we're going to be to shift this generation, and I, I do think it's I do think it's changing. I think, you know, I, I get really frustrated by the lay of you know, snowflake generation, and I, that really winds me up um, because I do think actually there's an awareness in the generation that's coming through now of they want more. They want more than maybe people allowed themselves to ask for before, and I think it's often seen as a criticism of that generation, but I think actually there's awareness that i do want to be happy i want there to be more to life than whatever i've been told i'm supposed to have um and and i think actually the sort of conversations we're having now and the conversations we're going to have with our kids will hopefully continue that so they're just not sticking themselves on one marble track for the rest of their lives and that'll be it and they don't ever dare to come off it Mm. and i think that's sort of suck it up and
1: carry on isn't it sorry rose that's the
2: sort of
1: attitude i feel you see quite a lot is that um you can't you can't sort of move off your track you've got to sort of suck it up and carry on because that's that's what we do you you have your job you stay with it, you pay your bills you can't um it's almost like a an aversion to the magical thinking big then don't do that you, yeah this is your this is your part and those that do have the um the kahunas to do it um generally at the start are really criticized especially they're trying to do it on um a social media platform mm-hmm. because they then then judges just pratting around but Legitly, yeah. they are. That's, I think it's a misunderstanding from a generation point of view of the importance of social media. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that is sad that yeah. um, that gets bashed so quickly.
2: And I think in what you said there, it was. Um, you said something about kind of just suck it up and carry on with it. I think in the resilience space, that's quite often how resilience is defined, that you're resilient if you just kind of keep going and you soldier on and, you know, that's how you get through life. And actually a big part of resilience yes it's defined as our ability to cope with adversity and to sort of bounce back from challenge but often you can only do that by stopping often you can only do that by stopping and sort of checking you know what am i doing am i doing stuff that's okay for me or am i doing stuff that everybody else thinks i should be doing or that i think i should be doing as opposed to what i want to do and i think you're right it does take guts to do it i mean even sort of after leaving teaching the thought of setting up on my own was something that I wrote on my possible list with my career coach but I was like oh no no that's not me I'm the sensible one I I'm I'm risk averse I don't do brave and that's one of the big shifts in my one of the real limiting beliefs that I've had that I've had to challenge and still challenge every time I sort of send an email or do this quite often I'm saying to my husband like is this okay am I did this am I doing what you know checking in with somebody else but I think you're right it takes real guts to move away from the beaten track, but you know, how else do we find new and exciting places unless we dare to do that? And the the dare bit is often where the additional support comes in because it's rare that people dare to do that without some kind of support or nudge from someone else. And good on anyone who does it on their own, but I definitely need some help to do it. Yeah the point you made
1: there. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say (laughs) the point you made there is reflection is quite a key, a key aspect for resilience. Is that yeah, something exactly. for like our, our members you'd recommend that they would do? Take time just to reflect on where they are and where they're going.
2: On their yeah, journey? definitely. I mean, I, I, it's something that I mean, I remember you know writing a diary when I was younger, and I didn't really think anything too much of it. And it's something I came back to again in the last few years as I was going through my career transition. Not writing a diary all the time as such, but just taking some points where I notice you know what what was getting me really excited and what was I finding really difficult and maybe why was that? And actually that's kind of, that's, become part of what I do every month for my business at the end of every month I take myself somewhere for a coffee Obviously not at the moment um, I take myself somewhere for a coffee and I sit and I and I think right I started off actually in the reflection thinking what have I achieved in the last month and then I went hold on a second this is exactly what I encourage people not to do don't base your worth and your success on just the stuff that you've done so now every month I start with what have I learnt? what's my learning been over the last month and it might be I've learnt something about myself that I can do more than I maybe thought or I kind of dared more than I thought I might have done and I could dare to you know have a conversation with a certain person it might be I've learned something that I found really hard and why that was and actually going from that into the achievements bit which is my next bit that kind of fits quite naturally for me now and, and kind of does a bit more of the. I don't know it feels it does a bigger picture of my thinking now than just what have I done in the last month which feels very kind of performance managementy and actually not really getting to the heart of what's important and then I do a bit around what's next and actually when I, I do a plan for every month now and it always starts with me because I recognize and I'm sure anybody else running their own business will get this is your you only have a certain number of hours in the day and you feel like all of that should be given to your work well clearly that doesn't like there won't be any of you left to function in the business if you're not taking care of yourself. So I spent some real time trying to think about what it is that tops me up, what self-care looks like, what I need to do for me, to then enable me to go on and do the other bits. And I'm doing this because I do it as a mind map every month. I get the Sharpies out, you know, what what do I need for me? What do I want to try and do weekly or daily or once in the month, whatever it might be, because that will then hopefully enable me to do more of the other stuff. And if I don't do it, there will be other reasons why. But um but yeah, trying to make some realistic goals, I guess, is where I've really centered on in the, in the reflection and what I need for me to be able to carry on. Because, I, you know, I've definitely set myself daft unrealistic goals before. And then you get hacked off at yourself for not being able to do it. And then, you, yeah, a bit of a vicious circle that isn't really helpful. So getting realistic about what works, how often you can do it, and amongst all the other stuff you have to do, that's certainly something that helps for me in the reflection space.
0: And also making those those steps towards those goals really 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 small. <laughs> That's what I find. I literally break things down into really small steps because then I know I'm going to be successful.
2: Yeah. And then yeah. when I
0: feel like I've been successful at them, even if it is a to-do list that I have broken yeah. down into check those emails and da 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 yeah. tick tick tick, I yeah. feel successful, and therefore I feel like I'm more motivated and I can go on and do yeah. so in the coaching space and in terms of trying to make changes in our everyday lives, those really small incremental changes are so powerful. And I don't think we talk about those enough either because it we're sold, we're sold the magic answer, aren't they? You know, do my webinar and you will be earning $10,000 by the end of the week, you know, all of that stuff. They're like, it's instant. It's now, 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 now. Yeah. But actually, Progress is never a straight line, is it? We're going to go round yeah. sometimes, we're going to go backwards, you know. But we're always, it is always forward momentum. And it's those yeah. small incremental changes that are so yeah. powerful, aren't they?
2: And I think that idea about I, I, what I, I really like, and I and always talk about that idea of process not being this sort of linear thing, I think you, and progress. So you see in education, you know, a kid will start down here and this is their trajectory of how they're going to go. Well, of course, it's going to look like this. And, and, you know, when we were talking earlier about sportsmen and women, their, their journey to reaching whatever it is they get to in the end is like this as well. You know, days where they're amazing on the court and other days where it just feels like a total waste of time. But it's not. It's just they're learning something all the time about maybe something they need to tweak in training or maybe a particular aspect of their game they need to work on. As you said, it's, it's again, it's about It's about breaking stuff down into small steps to start with, but also making that space to reflect and go, okay, so what are the little things that I need to tweak, the little things that I might need to change that enable it to feel manageable? And I would say that, you know, that goes for everything. I'm working on essays at the moment and the prospect of writing a postgrad essay, you know, and this is someone who's an English teacher who taught people how to do essays I'm terrified and there is a real perfectionist thing in that but by the same thing breaking it down I'm doing half an hour a day it feels manageable and I think because I'm only setting myself that small goal of half an hour if I do more great if I do less I'm not going to beat myself up about it but I'm doing something every day and it makes it manageable
0: yeah definitely definitely so what do you think are the three kind of things what are the three simple steps that someone today as a member of the club could take away and do immediately to practice those soft skills around resilience or to just benefit themselves within the
2: work that you do so uh, the three things that i probably most commonly talk to people about are number one stop so back to what we were saying around reflection stop just take a proper pause and a breathe and a and a check-in so I've worked with people in the NHS and we sort of laugh and talk about it as a vitals check, but this time it's their vitals check. So just pause and breathe and notice what's going on for you physically. Is there tension going on? What, you know, what might be causing that? Think about where you're at emotionally, how are you feeling, are you enjoying what you're doing, are you challenging, you know, and and the more regularly we do that, the more we're able to notice those patterns and what's working for us and what isn't. So the stop, pause, breathe, check in, I think is really important the second sort of step to that I suppose is is starting to do a bit more listening to what's going up here so rather than kind of solely focusing on the what are you feeling emotionally whatever listen to what the little voice in your head is saying quite often it's saying things that it might say some things that's helpful a lot of people I work with it's not saying very many helpful things so you know pausing and listening to what that little voice is saying and and Again, just noticing it. We talked about noticing and sort of starting to question what's going on around you. Well, if you start to question what's going on up here, you know, if someone said, you know, the voice in your head is saying, you know, you can't do it. You're a bit rubbish. You know, the things that I've certainly heard going on up here before um, to pause and ask yourself, you know, "Is, is that true? Is that useful? if if your best mate said that that was what was going on up there you know what would you say to her what would you say to him so so really trying to use that voice of kindness that we're not always great at using on ourselves sort of distance ourselves a little bit from it and say well you know what might somebody else say in that situation and it could be about what to what you were saying around you know you've you've had a good day you know think about what's happened you've made real progress think about what happened back there Or, you know, yeah, today was a tougher day. Maybe tomorrow will be better. Start again tomorrow. So just some little things of kindness. And the last thing, and we touched on this a little bit, really, the last thing is to really think about what what makes you feel good, what tops you up, and make time for it. And I think the conversation around self-care has really changed over the last few years, few months, few weeks, thankfully, around, you know, it's not about spa, days and having a whole day you know a lot of us don't have that time space money resources to do that it's about the little things that you can do so you know we mentioned movement you mentioned sleep you know diet in terms of sort of the choices that we're making conscious choice about what we're choosing to to eat sleep time outside so they're my kind of four basics that i talk about you know i do them in greater and lesser degrees of brilliance some days it's fine you know but on balance across a week rather than sort of beating yourself up over a day or an hour or one choice that you make so trying to take a more holistic view and then it's just about you know what else tops you up and that's totally individual for me it's music and dance and reading and time with my friends and people who really make me feel good um for others it could be running it could be painting it could be you know whatever And I I love someone asked me a question a few years ago around, you know, what did you enjoy doing when you were younger? It was a question I hadn't thought about for years, but it really tapped me into the basics of stuff that I like doing and still like doing. So, yeah, my three are stop and pause and just sort of check in with yourself. Listen to what's going on up here and maybe challenge it a little bit. Think about what a nice person would say instead of what the person up there might be saying and make time for stuff that makes you feel good. Even if it's five minutes, cup of tea in the garden, That that can make all the difference to your mood. Yeah. Self-care,
0: self-compassion, self-talk. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Massive. Massive. James, do you have anything you'd like to yeah. ask, Pam?
1: No, oh, I just like the fact you said little and often, you know, you're not, you said don't do one big spa day at the end of the month, you know, it'll be like if you're trying to learn an instrument, it's no good to, oh, well, I'm trying to learn a saxophone at the moment, but it's no good me on a Sunday trying to play catch up and do five hours rather than doing little often all the time for the week you can to progress a lot further i think it's a really nice principle to apply to the whole array of things um mm-hmm. not just self-care um is there any way our club members can follow you platforms
2: yeah so i'm on instagram and facebook as pam cotman um i've got a facebook group called resilient women sorry gents um years of looking after and working with predominantly women means I don't exclusively but I do a lot of my work with women so we have a Facebook group with daily tips and a weekly live and lots of kind of just a really good support group for building resilience so support when you're having a great day and support when you're frankly not having such a good one is there and then my website is pamcottman.com so you can head over there and join my mailing list or just see what I get up to and where you can find me in any of those spaces and there's, there's links to my contact details there too.
0: And you also, um, you were also featured on Psychology's channel, Psychology Magazine's channel.
2: Yes. So it's part of the organization that I, I trained with Barefoot Coaching and they have a great collaboration with um, Psychology's magazine. So Kim Morgan, who set it all up, has a weekly column and then I contribute to their Life Labs site. So you can go on and see the different things that I've posted and vlogged and um, and yes, did a live with their editor a couple of weeks ago and was featured in the May edition of the magazine, which was one of those... That was a definite classic of the little bit each time, and then oh my gosh, I've <laughs> achieved this all I dreamed of in a magazine that I'd read for ten years. So yes, you can find it. Amazing, me that.
0: amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Pam. I think there were so many nuggets of wisdom in that. I can hear Hogan barking. Rufus, my dog, yeah, is barking sorry, in the garden. I don't think that's <laughs> our you. But thank you, you well. so much. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you have taken something away from listening, perhaps one small action you can put into practice today. We would love to hear your thoughts on today's episode, so pop on over to Reframe Club where you can share them, your own reflections and experiences. We would love to hear from you. As always, here at Reframe Club, we are rooting for you.